It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. We're back at it here on a Sunday night. Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 13.40 AM. Tim Unglesby with you, along with Brian here in wonderful Las Vegas. We have plenty going on here on the Super Sunday Night Edition of Heat Wave Sports. And we're going to get through, of course, week 10 of the NFL. And to join me, joining me tonight to help me along the ride, radio personality, good friend of mine, good Always a, been a member of the cast of Heatwave Sports, Mr. Chris Wynn. Chris, are you with us over there on that uh, on that side? I know you were having some issues earlier. Brian, if you can hear me, can we? Uh, Chris, Chris isn't connected somehow, so we'll get him on here shortly, and he'll help us navigate this two-hour edition of Heatwave Sports as we're with you every Saturday and Sunday night. Except for last night, of course, because of the Vegas Golden Knights. And next Saturday as well, we'll be off with Vegas Golden Knights again. So we're back Sunday. So this Sunday, next Sunday, and then we'll be off for the Thanksgiving holiday, which will take us to December, and uh, we'll start over again from there. But usually every Saturday and Sunday night right here on Sports Radio. And quite an interesting Week 10 in the NFL, and of course we're going to dive in and, and digest and dissect everything about Week 10 as we near uh, we have just passed the the halfway mark of the season, which is crazy. Now remember, there's 18 weeks now, and we've gotten through 10, so we're almost at that point where we could really start discussing how the playoff seating will look. But we're not going to get too too into that because there's still plenty of games left that will dictate where these teams sit for the playoffs, including tonight, divisional matchup right here in Las Vegas between the Las Vegas Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll get into that, and it kind of leads into our opening segment here tonight because I did want to talk about just Las Vegas in general and the big kind of weekend Las Vegas had, and I believe radio personality Chris Wynn is with us, Chris. Again, always a pleasure to have you on, your Heatwave family for life, and uh, we're going to do it tonight, two hours. No doubt about it, Tim. Good to be with you. And uh, as you pointed out, no shortage of action across the board here in the Vegas Valley from a sports standpoint this past weekend. And look, I know a lot of times, Tim, we sound like a broken record, don't we, when we talk about this? Because it seems like every weekend there's something going on and it's, you know, there's there's event after event after event. But uh it was never more the case than it was this weekend. And, of course, uh, uh, I had a great opportunity to uh, dust off my uh, public address announcing skills, Tim, and uh, go out to, uh, to Creel Field out there at uh, the Meadows here in Vegas and uh, do the semifinal game between uh, Meadows and Battle Mountain in football. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of fun to get out there and get to see the uh, high school kids. I got, to be honest with you, I haven't had a chance really in my uh, 18 years here in Vegas and you know, doing a lot of radio stuff. I haven't done a lot of high school sports, right? I haven't done a lot of high school basketball and a lot of high school football. So that was a real treat to get out there 
and get a chance to uh, to, to see see a semifinal game like that and to uh, just be a part of that experience. So when they asked me if I knew anybody, I knew a couple people, and I knew you had done it previous in your college days. So what, what did you think when I sent you that text? Hey, Chris, uh, they need a PA announcer. But I didn't tell you what sport it was. I just kind of left you hanging on that. So you walked into a no, football No, that was a funny thing, right, Tim, is that I immediately just assumed it was going to be a basketball gig, right? <laughs> and uh, while I did both football and basketball and hockey, by the way, in college from a, an announcing standpoint and also from a radio standpoint, uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be basketball, so I roll up to the school, and I don't know if any of the listeners out there have been over to the Meadows. It's a beautiful uh, facility, beautiful area. You know, we got, uh, you know, acreages across the board, and it's a nice setup. But uh, it, it was only then, when I got to the, when I got to the uh, actual facility, that I realized, oh, yeah, this is a football game, not a basketball game. So that was uh, – but it was, it, was a, it was a good surprise. It was fun. Well, I got the feedback. You got high marks, so they thought you did an excellent job, and um... – Maybe something in the future for you there, Chris. You never know, man. Hey, there's always nothing wrong with the avenues opening up, right, Tim, when it comes to uh, little sports announcing gigs. Not a bad deal. That's right. So, uh, and congrats to the uh, Meadows for, for making it to the final the championship game now. They're going to be playing at uh, 9 a.m. on Thursday, and, uh, which, it was, which was kind of crazy, right, Tim, because I don't know, I don't know uh, if you were watching uh, the entire game, the Raiders-Chiefs game, but Al Michaels from, from NBC you know, mentioned – on the telecast, you know, they have every, wherever it is that they do the Sunday night game, they always have this uh, feature where they'll have the, the state uh, high school football games. They'll show footage and, and occasionally show, you know, the helmet displays of all the teams. And that's exactly what they did for Nevada. And Al Michaels mentioned on the broadcast that there will be high school championship games at Legion Stadium coming up on Thursday. So I thought that was pretty cool that uh, he highlighted that on Sunday night football. It was a good shout out. My- so for everybody listening, my son plays, he's a sophomore at Meadow as he plays um, linebacker and offensive line. And yeah, Thursday they're playing for the state title against Yearington, undefeated Yearington team. So this, it's going to be fun. Chris, if you can make it out, man, you should make it out there because Gorman plays for the state title right after that game. Right. They have the, uh, yeah, they have the Yearling and they have the Meadows games at 9 a.m. And then they have the Bishop Gorman is uh, playing in the, in the, uh, in the in the 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 five A right championship, yes. the second game, and then they have the uh, I think I believe what the 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 double uh, A or or the single A and then the triple A. I'm not really sure. yeah. I'm confused on the whole you know triple A quadruple A whatever it is, but they have uh, all four games basically being played there on that Thursday. Yeah. Nine A nine A M is the two A championship Meadows versus Sherrington, the five A scheduled for twelve thirty Bishop Gorman versus McQueen. 345 is the 4A, that's Silverado and uh, Shadow Ridge. And then at 7 p.m., 3A, Moapa Valley, Virgin Valley. And I believe one admission gets you all four games. If you want to stay there all day and all night to watch high school football, now's a chance because, you know, like like we saw tonight, Chris, sold-out stadium for the Raider Chief game. It's not going to be sold out, but it's still cool that these kids will get to play in an NFL stadium. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And uh, that, that – that goes, and that's true for all over the country, right? Wherever the, right. you know, the premier, whether it's an NFL or college stadium, it's always a great experience for these high school kids to get to play, to go on that field and kind of, you know, and just be in the presence of, uh, you know, what, whether, uh, you know, if it's the NFL or big time college football, it's always great. So Chris, let's talk about the Las Vegas weekend. It started early and it went all the way through tonight. And we had a clean sweep on the board until the Raiders laid an egg tonight. But talk about 
just the beginning of the beginning of this weekend that we had. We had UNLV Sports uh, leading into tonight's game with um, NFL. So Vegas represented itself well this weekend. Yeah, as you mentioned, I, I did that Meadows game. That was a one o'clock game here in the afternoon up in Summerlin, and then uh, and, and during that time period between the you know noon basically. And, uh, and 5 o'clock before the UNLV basketball game, we had the ob obviously the matchup down at Allegiant Stadium where Hawaii took on UNLV football. UNLV coming off the first win of the season, the first win in Coach Marcus Arroyo's tenure there as the head coach when, with a victory down in New Mexico. They end up with an impressive win there at home against Hawaii where they're able to put up a ton of points. You saw, obviously, uh, you know Char Charles Williams, another big-time game for him solidifying his place in, uh, in UNLV history, to be quite honest with you. When you're being mentioned among the likes of Icky Woods and some of these other people, you know, the Randall Cunninghams in UNLV football, that's a pretty impressive thing. So uh, I was uh, very, very impressed, to say the least, to see that, uh, that the Rebels football squad was able to win two in a row and uh, had to feel good for Marcus Arroyo and that staff. Now, look, let's not go crazy, okay, because... You know, they, they, have a, they face a matchup next week where they're taking on San Diego State Aztecs, who are a nationally ranked team, and we're playing again on a national stage on Friday night there at Allegiant Stadium. So, I, look, defensively, UNLV is going to have to come to play big time just to even have a chance in that football game. But that being said, it, it was impressive the last two weeks for UNLV football. UNLV women's basketball was also victorious, as well as the women's volleyball team. Also, UNLV hockey won their game as well, too, yesterday. So it was just clean sweeps across the board. And then we get, of course, to uh, you know, the, the Run Rebels basketball game against Cal. And you, it's an interesting game, uh, Tim, because obviously you think Cal, you think, well, it's a Pac-12 team, you know, so they should be half decent. I, this should be a, a tough test for the Rebels. Not necessarily, you know, exactly how it played out. I mean, it was, this is a Cal team that doesn't have the likes of Jalen Brown anymore. They don't have, you know, Jason Kidd's talents like that. They're probably one of the worst teams in the Pac-12. They did have 13 guys on their team that are returning from last year, so that's a plus for them. But that being said, it wasn't a great Pac-12 team. It was a decent basketball game, though, and it's thrilling down to the end, and UNLV and Cal made it interesting, and it was in question right up till about, you know, right up till the, the, the final possession. And the running Rebels were able to pick up another victory, despite the fact that, you know, Bryce Hamilton was their leading scorer, Tim, at 12 points in this tilt. And uh, got another solid, solid game uh, from the lights of uh, Ham Jr. And, and a couple other people. And they were able to get McKay back into the mix, the point guard, the transfer out of West Virginia. I think a lot of running Rebel fans are going to be excited to watch because he's got a lot of, of, of Jason Williams in him. And if uh, those of you that are NBA fans and that are fans of, uh, the University of Florida, as well as Marshall basketball. You'll remember Jason Williams from back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Very flashy point guard. McCabe's got a lot of skills like him, so I think Re Run Rebel fans will be happy about that. So they get the win. They go to 2-0. and Got to feel good for Kevin Gruber to start to his coaching career. And then, of course, uh, the nightcap. The Vegas Golden Knights were at home over at T-Mobile Arena taking on the Vancouver Canucks in NHL action. And, uh, this another one that was tight throughout most of the game. It was back and forth, and you're not going to be all kinds of happy, Tim, when you're talking about the goaltending in this tilt without question. I mean, it was really rough 
as far as the goaltenders are concerned. But it was exciting from an offensive standpoint. The teams are going back and forth. You had a th uh, basically a 3-3 tie going in the third period. Both teams end up scoring early in the third to make it 4-4. And then the Golden Knights just flexed their muscles, Mr. Oglesby, and went on a nice three-goal uh, binge right there, led by the likes of uh, John Marcheseau and Riley Smith, and were able to get the 7-4 win at home. And so I believe, I, I, don't quote me on this, I think they're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games for the Vegas Golden Knights. So it's a good time to just start getting things clicking here for the VGK. They get the victory last night. And so everybody's all smiles in Vegas, right, Tim? Everybody's fired up because we've won everything. And we, I mean, Vegas has won everything, you know, this weekend. And then, unfortunately, you know, what took place at Allegiant Stadium tonight took place, and it just kind of, you know, put a damper on the whole thing. But that being said, it was still a solid weekend for Vegas sports. Of course, we had the, uh, the MMA fights last night as well, too, and uh, some other things going on also. So there was uh, activity aplenty, Mr. Ugglesby, when it came to Vegas and sports over the weekend. Excellent recap, Mr. Wynn, excellent recap. And, and even if you want to go a step further, <clears throat> there were concerts and festivals in town. I mean, it was just everything was going right for Las Vegas this weekend. So I want to kind of pick apart and, and jump into a little bit of uh, talk here on, on some of the local local things. So let's start a quick one with, with the Golden Knights. As you said, it they, they muscled Vancouver around in the third period on Saturday night. And got the win. And it's funny watching this, this Golden Knight team now is that, of course, you got Panda being, uh, he's unbelievable right now. But a lot of Henderson Silver Knights on this roster right now making making names for themselves. And you know what? When everybody gets healthy, Chris, more than likely they'll, they'll end up back, back with the uh, AHL franchise. But it's nice to see a team that we covered over at the Orleans Arena, seeing these guys get their first professional goals in two cases and actually uh, playing quality minutes for the big club. Yeah, and the name that you think of right off the bat, right, Tim, would be Jake LeCision. This is a guy who, you know, has been absolutely a stalwart for the Henderson Silver Knights in the last two seasons that they've been in existence. And, and he finally, you know, he, he was able to light the lamp for the first time last night in the NHL and, uh, and, and a really nice goal. And uh, he, was, he was joined by Riley Smith, Braden McNabb, and, of course, uh, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, Dandenoff as well as uh, Marsha. So each scored twice. For Vegas to get to get those seven goals, the, the Golden Knights, Tim, nine zero and two all time against the Canucks since 2017. I say that that's that's fairly dominant against our friends there from the uh, the Great Northwest up there in uh, British Columbia. Pretty solid, and uh, it extends their winning streak as I pointed out to eight and two since October 26, after they opened the season a paltry one and four. So it was uh, it was a rough night for Demko there between the pipes for Vancouver and. Uh, Marcia so scored his 100th goal as a Golden Knight also to give the Knights that 5-4 lead in the third period, and uh, they just wouldn't relinquish it in front of a uh, sold-out crowd down there at the Fortress for the VGK. Football-wise, we'll, I, won't, I won't say really anything because you kind of covered it itself. And, and, you know, nice two-game two winning streak for the Rebels. We'll see what happens this week as a obviously a tougher test stands in their way. But how about the basketball? Okay, so... I don't want to be that guy already, Chris, but I'm going to have to be a little bit of that guy. So the positives are in the Kevin Kruger, we start out 2-0. and uh, There seems to be, at least on social media, which can go either way, right, Chris? There seems to be more positivity about it. Obviously, there's, uh, it's not relating to butts in the seats yet, but 
if they continue on their way, they'll get butts in the seats. But uh, not not good turnout so far for the two games. Here's my thing on it, and and I'll go back to the last three coaches if you really want to go far, go go back that far. After two games, Chris, this team, the running Rebels, is averaging 60 points a game. And that game on Saturday was atrocious for me to watch. It was absolute garbage as far as I was concerned. I, I just, was it the style of play? I'm not sure. It was bad to watch for me. And, and you know what? Again, there, there may be some chemistry things going on here. And I know it's two games in the, into the season, Chris. People are going to jump on my back about it. But I'm just giving you what I've seen through the first two games. Impressive? I wouldn't say that. I'd say right now I'd give them about a six and a half, close to a seven out of ten. Yeah, and I completely can understand where you're coming from. When I was talking about kind of an exciting game, you know, because it was and more because it was close and it was back and forth. But you are absolutely on point if you want to talk about the complete lack of offensive efficiency for both of these teams. I mean, let's just be straight up about it. I mean, they scored 107 points in this basketball game. The total on this game for Vegas was 132 and a half, right? And I was someone who actually was on the over on this basketball game, so I had absolutely no chance. And as I pointed out before, Bryce Hamilton led them with 12 points, okay? Bryce Hamilton is not going to be averaging 12 points a game. The guy is probably going to be averaging close to 20 a game. And Mike Nuga had, I mean, look, look Nuga had 10 points for them, but it was, it was just ugly offensively. But... You know, obviously, in the press conference after the game, right, we go in there, Tim, and you get a chance to hear from the players. You hear from head coach Kevin Kruger, and a lot of the discussion was about defense, right? In a game like this, where you have a game that's 55-52, what are both coaches going to most likely want to put the spotlight on? They're going to want to put the spotlight on the defense because offensively, it wasn't great. You know, it was not great whatsoever. You know, whether you're looking at uh, Antis Fitch, whether you're looking at, you know, Celestine, whether you're looking even at, uh, you know, uh, even Donovan, Donovan Williams, who I like a lot. This kid, this kid, this transfer, I think he's going to be really good for them. I mentioned Jordan McCabe earlier. Um, and, yes, there were spots where these kids were able to hit either like a key three or knock down a big layup like Donovan Williams did to make it 49-46 in the game. But it was 49-46 with – you know, like two and a half minutes left in the game. This is how bad it was offensively. Cal was scoreless in the final two minutes of this basketball game in a, basically a one-point game. The Bears, Tim, had a chance to win this basketball game a couple times on a couple possessions, and they just weren't able to knock down a shot. You had Jordan Shepard, who uh, incidentally played at Oklahoma, and when obviously Kevin Kruger was an assistant at Oklahoma, so you know, it was all about Jordan Shepard. Jordan Shepard had a couple chances to give Cal the lead late and wasn't able to do it. There's a huge block at the end of the game uh, that, that you know, Royce Ham Jr. just swatted one of Shepard's shots away, a layup attempt with 27 seconds remaining. It was, uh, it was a monstrous play because obviously Cal would have taken the lead there. Um, it, yeah, it was, let, let's, let's lay it all out there, Tim. It was not pretty from an offensive standpoint whatsoever. But, uh, I mean, I guess from being there, it was more, more of a sense of, you know, wow, these, these two teams are going back and forth, and you just don't know who's going to win. So I guess that created some of the excitement. Yeah, and, we, and you're right. We could spin it as it was just a great defensive game. You know, it doesn't, either way you want to look at it, it doesn't matter. It's the beginning of the season. Teams are, are trying to gel, trying to get that cohesiveness there together. Uh, you're right, Cal's a, a bottom Pac-12 team. And that's sad with, with basically everybody returning. You know, you think they, they would be a little bit better. But it's early. We'll see what happens. 
uh, you know, looking forward to what's next for the Rebel team is they're actually playing in the Roman main event over at T-Mobile this weekend. And, and Chris, they draw in the first round Jawan Howard in the number six Michigan Wolverines. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that's a very tough test, and it's going to be very tough to, you know, to uh, to get over that hump as far as uh, J- Jawan Howard and his Michigan team. That's that's a team that has national championship aspirations. So, uh, it, it, look, I, I don't I don't expect UNLV to you know go into T-Mobile Arena and, and just and just start smacking around the Wolverines. Uh, they do have one more tune-up. What is it tomorrow night? I believe is it North Dakota State? They play somebody. Right which you could look at in a, in a you know kind of a tune-up type fashion for the Roman Classic coming up this weekend. And, uh, uh, and I, I think as long with you, Tim, I, I'm actually going to be at that event coming up this weekend. I'm looking forward to that because obviously you have another uh, quality matchup in the, uh, in, the, in the other game too. I believe Wichita State also is in the other game too. So it's going to be a lot of fun catching some college hoops in a tournament form down at T-Mobile Arena this upcoming weekend. Right. It'd be Arizona, Wichita State. Then Michigan, UNLV, the winners play Sunday. The losers play Sunday. So uh, either way, it's <clears throat> after tomorrow night's game against North Dakota State, it's going to be a, a tough two-game stretch for the Rebels playing, you know, they're playing quality teams. And then if you want to even look a little bit further ahead, right, you have that matchup with UCLA coming to town Thanksgiving weekend. You're absolutely right. Uh, yeah. And so, so I guess, would you call that Whittier game, Tim, a, a tune-up for that one, given that, uh, you know, they get to take on Whittier on Hup Day coming up in, uh, in, in about a week and a half? That, that might be the, the lowest attended Rebel game this year, night before Thanksgiving, right? Well, if we want to go down, we, if we want to go down this road, Tim, uh, I don't know about that because I was at the game yesterday, and look, we don't have to wax all poetic when it comes to UNLV basketball. The, the, the attendance was atrocious yesterday. I mean, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna flat out say it. It was atrocious. Uh, when you have uh, a UNLV Cal game, even even though you know it, it, you're not even if you're not invested as far as knowing about Cal's recent history, i.e., the last couple of years not being a good team, even if you don't know, you know, if you're not aware that UNLV you know has been uh, basically for the past couple of decades nowhere near what they used to be from a you know from a uh, what, what is it, exposure standpoint slash, you know, expectation standpoint, it's inexcusable, Tim, on a Saturday after basically late afternoon game to have basically 1,500 people down there at the Thomas and Mac. I, I was just like, look, I'm blown away. I mean, I don't understand how you can't, you know, it, it's, a, it's a Division One Mountain West program against a Pac-12 team. You should have more than 2,000 fans or just under 2,000 fans down at the Thomas and Mac. It's embarrassment. Um, I mean, I, I understand, like, a lot of us in the media talk about it a lot. I don't necessarily talk about it a lot as far as the attendance for UNLV basketball. But, it, I mean, let's be, let's be completely upfront about this, Tim. The first two games have not been good, okay, when, from an attendance standpoint. And everybody, look, we understand that you, we want to put – uh, a shiny new look on this program because it's Kevin Kruger and, you know, everybody has a lot of love for Lon Kruger and what he did here and, and understandably so, right? I mean, he was the last team that took this team to a Sweet 16. He's the last coach of this team that had this team relevant on not just a Mountain West scale, but on the national scale. But that being said, I mean, you can't, I, I, I just don't understand it. I, I mean, Tim, you, I, you, 
look, you're a UNLV guy. I went to a Division three school, okay? Division three, Mr. Oglesby, okay? And we had 1,500 fans at our basketball games. It's just not, I, I just, I just cannot comprehend it. And there's just, I, I don't know how many ways I can say it. It just doesn't seem right that there is, you know, such a sad showing down at the Thompson Mac. By the way, a great historic college basketball venue, to be quite honest with you. And, uh, you know, so many great moments there. And it's, it's, just, uh, it's just a very difficult thing to kind, of, to kind of have to witness on a, you know, basically every four or five day basis. That's Chris Wynn, Tim Unglesby, Heat Wave Sports on a Sunday night. When we come back, we'll get to how Vegas' perfect weekend ended up just a little bit short tonight over at Allegiant Stadium as the Raiders fell to the Chiefs. We'll break that game down for you, as well as all of Week 10 in the NFL. Plenty, plenty of big games, a couple surprises. We'll talk about all that and more. It's Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Over at the uh, the black hole, the Death Star, whatever you want to call it, the NFL Sunday night action, AFC West matchup, Raiders Chiefs. A lot of people looking forward to this one to end the weekend. Chris, even though there's a game tomorrow night, this was the one that a lot of people had circled. And you know, for all the troubles that Kansas City has has had this season, they look like Kansas City of old tonight. Patrick Mahomes, five touchdown passes in the game. They blow out the Raiders, Chris. They are in first place in the West. And all seems okay right now for Chief fans as they put an end to the Las Vegas weekend, putting a blemish on it. But, uh, man, I tell you what, I don't, I don't think the Raiders were ever in this game. Well, I, I would I'd push back a little bit on that. They were in the game, but then, you know, things just started to go haywire in the second half. I mean, you had... You know, you know, just costly times for turnovers. You had, you know, and obviously I'm talking about, you know, the Derek Carr, you know, let's just heave it up interception. I'm also talking about, you know, Deshaun Jackson makes a big-time catch, and it looks like it's going to be a huge gain and put them in the position where they're going to be able to trade punches with that potent Kansas City offense. And, you know, Deshaun Jackson obviously coughs the football up, and, and the Chiefs end up getting it, and it just destroys any type of momentum that they had. So... There was just situations in the second half that were, you know, a little bit surprising, to be quite honest with you, given, uh, you know, what the Raiders, what I expected to see out of the Raiders in this matchup tonight. Now, understandably, uh, you know, there, there was a thought, right, Tim, that this was going to be a competitive football game because of the way that Kansas City has played the first nine weeks of the season. They haven't been that, you know, that juggernaut Kansas City team that we're used to. Pat Mahomes hasn't been that guy. That's been the perennial MVP candidate this year. I think that has a lot to do with a, with a number of factors, i.e. his offensive line. Obviously, you know, they've been dealing with other issues as well. I think Travis Kelsey at points during the season has been a guy who's looked lazy and hasn't exactly performed up to par. And uh, specifically two weeks ago where he was just atrocious in, uh, in a football game. So, uh, it, you know, and, and, and so tonight, what do you see? You see Travis Kelsey go out there and have a monster night, right? Go for almost 120 yards, and uh, and was Travis Kelsey again. You know, you saw Tyreek Hill have, have some big time plays and a couple of touchdowns. And as you mentioned, 
Pat Mahomes goes out and throws for 400 yards and five touchdowns and a QBR, you know, over 127 and looked looked outstanding for the Chiefs. And, and where so where is Kansas City now? Well, they're sitting right atop, you know, the AFC West again. And so it's got to be so frustrating for teams like the Chargers. It's got to be so frustrating for teams like the Raiders who, you know, thought that, you know, the gap was closing. Right, Tim? The gap is closing. They're going to be right there. And then you see what transpires tonight between those two teams at Allegiant. And I think, I think everybody can start to, you know, put, put, uh, connect the dots and see that this Chiefs team is nowhere near, you know, done as far as the AFC West is concerned. If you look at the last two weeks, and I know it, it follows the whole Henry Ruggs situation, but a loss up in New Jersey, New York last week to the Giants. They come home a place where they've, they've been very successful. Uh, they were 3-1 and one heading into this game this year and wins over some big teams. And uh, you said, it, you know, turnovers kill you, right? They've turned the ball over five times in the past two games. That's the, That matches the total that they had in the first seven games. So a lot of times we see a, an equaling of things that were benefits for them early. Now, now it's kind of the scale is tipped back the other way. And bottom line is, Chris, when – you can't even put up 100 yards in the first half, and you're only down by 10 points with the ball. You know, there, there's things that just that didn't go their way. You're absolutely correct on. But, I, you know, and I'm not going to say mindset-wise, I, I can't I can't speak on that. But they just don't look like the Raiders of the early part of the season. No question about it, right, Tim? And uh, when I talked about questionable decisions, I'm not just talking about the players and uh, the stakes. I'm talking about the coaches, too. I mean, you had that situation, and uh, I don't know if you were on social media throughout – the second half of the game, Tim, but the Raiders were getting just shellacked for that, for not going for it on that foot. It was fourth and short there early in the fourth quarter. You're down by 20 points. How are you not going for it there? Why are you punting the ball away? I mean, just this is just basic stuff, and I'm not trying to just, you know, flat-out fillet Rich Bisaccia and, 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 and Olsen and the coaching staff, but I, I, look, that was a decision that was highly questionable, to say the least, when it came to the Raiders. When you're down by over, you know, over two possessions, and you're still looking to punt the ball away in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you know, it's easy to say, right, because we, we would agree that Chucky goes for it there, no question, right? Oh, there's not even a doubt. There's not even a question. <laughs> there's not even, a, there's not even a, uh, an ounce of speculation, Tim, that, that John Gruden and uh, Gruden combined with Olsen wouldn't absolutely make that decision. So... Uh, yeah, this isn't all on the players. I mean, uh, there, as what I've mentioned just in the last five minutes, yes, there are players that, that deserve some blame, a lot of blame for this loss. But the coaching staff also does as well, too, for some of the key spots where I think they made some decisions that they would like to have back. And I do want to kind of question the, the play calling because, and I granted, look, the Chiefs ate up most of the first quarter on, on that drive, but, and I don't, and I know Jake was, wasn't exactly, uh, tearing up the ground, Chris, early. But when Derek Carr ends up being your leading rusher for the game at 18 yards, I think maybe they went away from that too quickly before it got out of hand. And maybe if they would just establish a little more of a running attack, it would have helped out Carr a little bit with the passing game. But uh, you said it, that you know, it's a 10-point lead and, and you have the ball with a chance to cut into it and all of a sudden you blink an eye and you're down two touchdowns. You know, that was it right there early in the third. Well, let me piggyback that. As far as from an offense standpoint for the Raiders, you're absolutely you're right. How are you having 
your, your rushing attack consisting of your quarterback, you know, has under 20 yards. Your two main running backs ha- are have under 20 yards. Both of them rush for 16 yards. How, how is Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs running for 16 yards apiece? Josh Jacobs at two, just a little over two yards a carry. And by the way, last time I checked, who is the superstar on this offense? It's Darren Waller. How is Darren Waller only targeted four times? You know, I or you know maybe maybe six times, maybe two other times he was targeted where, he did, where a completion wasn't made. That is ridiculous. You know, Darren Waller having 24 yards in this game is is completely preposterous. When you have Hunter Renfro, who you know ends up having one of the touchdowns, obviously Edwards had the other one, but you know Hunter Renfro's got twice as many receiving yards as Darren Waller. I mean, I, I look, I don't have to be a rocket scientist, right, Tim? to figure out that, you know, that's probably not an offensive strategy that's going to be necessarily successful moving forward if you're the Las Vegas Raiders and you go up against, you know, offensive teams, the likes of the Chiefs and the Chargers and some other teams, you know, throughout the rest of the season, you're not going to be, it's not going to cut it, you know, if you're going to have this type of stat production and uh, and this is the way it's going to be spread around from an offensive planning standpoint throughout the rest of this year. So just like last year, Vegas, uh, I believe their swoon happened right around the midpoint of the season. Now they're five and four, and they stay home for a game next Sunday with the Bengals coming into town. Bengals off a bye. Dangerous team, right, Chris? Very dangerous team in Cincinnati, and the opening line on this one already is at a pick. How about that? A pick them, Cincinnati and Vegas next Sunday. Yeah, there's no question in my mind that the Bengals are going to be right here and ready to roll. You mentioned coming off of a bye. But by the way, it's not just next week against the Bengals. You look at their next five games the Raiders are facing, and, and you can even throw the sixth game in there with, with the Broncos coming to town. Th- these are not winnable games by any stretch of the imagination. Like, automatically, you're going to put in the W column for the Raiders. You're talking about the Cowboys. They have to go to Dallas and play the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. You have, you know, a Washington football team that was impressive today in a win over the Super Bowl champions. Then you've got the Chiefs in in Arrowhead at Kansas City. And then, oh, by the way, what do you get after that? You get to go and play a Cleveland's Browns team that, you know, look, they're still speculating. You know, it's a Browns team that is in transition, and, I, and we don't really know what we're going to get from them. But it's still a 500 football team, and it's still, in my opinion, one of the best teams in the AFC. And then, of course, you got the Broncos game. So, and and then and then the Colts and the Chargers to round out the season. This is uh, you you talked about it, Tim. As far as last year, they started to wane. You take a look at the schedule, and worst case scenario, it could be a severe, just flat out collapse if they don't end up pulling out some surprises and some surprise W's in some of these matchups because they are. There is there is not one single football game on the rest of the schedule that I look at and say, oh yeah, that's a, that's that's a W. That, you know, they they should be able to even uh, you know they should be even. And look, nobody in the NFL can go through the motions, but you kind of understand the point I'm trying to make, Tim. Right? Like there there is no gimmies when you take a look at that slate the rest of the way for the silver and black. No, not at all. And essentially, you're looking at. What would be a lame duck coach, right, right Chris? He's not coming back as the head coach. We know that. So if it goes south. No, there's no quickly, doubt. I don't look. And, and I'm somebody who, I, as far as, you know, what I've heard of him, I've actually never met the man. But from what I've heard, he seems like like a great guy. He seems like someone that's outstanding in the locker room. And, 
you know, has been solid throughout his career from a coaching standpoint, uh, from from a special team standpoint, and and some other positions. But this was a, a very difficult scenario to be put into. You kind of alluded to it. You talked about the you know the Henry Rugg situation. Obviously, you all understand the Gruden saga and everything that went down there. Obviously, the Arnett situation was something that didn't help either. And I went on another uh, talk show last week, Tim, and I talked about kind of uh, how the Raiders, I'm even astounded, to be quite honest with you, that the Raiders were able to, uh, you know, to, to, to grind out a nice win against the Eagles there back on the 24th of October. And, uh, and, and, and of course, even, and even that win in, in Denver, obviously against the Broncos, I was impressed by that as well too. But, it, it almost seems like this is how you would expect a team to react and perform given what this franchise has gone through over the past two months plus, right? I mean, this is where you kind of expect uh, this this team to kind of have to, you know, would, would kind of fall into what, what exactly is going on here regarding uh, all three of those events that took place when you're, when obviously you're including the loss of life with Tina Tintor, and uh, and everything with that. I mean, it's just it's just it's it's a really tough spot for Rich Bisaccia to be in. And I don't know. I think it, I think it would be a minor miracle, Tim, to be quite honest with you, if he ends up being in the mix as the permanent head coach. And it's definitely not going to be in the mix if they say go you know one for the rest of the season or two for the rest of the season. There's no way that he's going to be in that uh, type of conversation. Right. I'll say anything. Barring a Super Bowl victory, he will not be back as the head coach of the Raiders. Just, and just that, it's a profile job, Chris. And Davis is a profile guy. And you know, Rich, like you said, I've heard everything. The guy is, is a wonderful man, and uh, just he doesn't move the needle. And sometimes you need that in the NFL. So I, I will not going out on a limb by saying he will not be back. And I know you you agree with that. What about the brethren, though, Kansas City? So. They've won three in a row, albeit they they uh, squeezed by the Giants a couple weeks back, and then beat a uh, Aaron Rodgerless Packer team last week in a terrible terrible game. But but like I said, they they kind of hit the spark today, and now they have the next three games at Arrowhead, uh, two divisional matchups, and then next week against Dallas. So th- this is a good stretch for Kansas City to kind of be the Kansas City team that we've seen the past couple seasons. You know. If you, if you can come out of this stretch 3-0, and Chris, you're 9-4, and and that puts you firmly in first place in that division. Well, I don't think there's any question, Tim, that you take a look at this game for the Kansas City's from their standpoint. It was a statement game, right? It was an opportunity for them to solidify themselves and say, hey, you know, people are sleeping on us saying that we're no longer the king of the mountain when it comes to the AFC West. And if you watched any of the pregame shows today, you know, whether it was the NFL Today or the NFL on Fox or any or an ESPN's NFL Countdown, there was a lot of, you know, are the Chiefs still the, the king banana, right, of the AFC West? And there's a lot of discussion about the, you know, Los Angeles Chargers, right? And, uh, and how, you know, you've got a good young quarterback there and, and Justin Herbert and, you know, you've got a great locker room with those guys. You've got guys on offense and defense getting along from, you know, you know from the, the, the guys in the secondary are hanging out with the likes of uh, the wide receivers, Keenan Allen and all these guys. There was features being done. Look, this is Kansas City's division still, in my, in my estimation. You talked about what they have facing them coming up. 
Uh, they're gonna. It, I think this is the kind of game that jump starts them, you know, moving forward throughout the rest of the season with this win over division opponent on the road here in Vegas. You know, then you get a matchup that's also going to be uh, what you call what a measuring stick game when you got the Cowboys coming in town. Uh, you know, a seven and two Cowboys team that is clearly, in my opinion, the best team probably in the NFC East. And then you got you know you got you know two more tilts. In the AFC West, with the Broncos coming to town, and of course the Raiders coming to town, back-to-back weeks, and oh, and then you head to LA to take on the Chargers. So there's, uh, I think it's absolutely an opportunity for the Chiefs to kind of, uh, I mean, use whatever adjectives you want. Are they going to circle the wagons? Are they going to be, you know, a team that's just kind of going to, it's going to be like a snowball effect, and they can kind of build on this? I think they do, and I think that when it's all said and done here, three or four weeks from now. I'll play my inner Nostradamus, my inner Tommy Barton, break this down, baby, <laughs> and say I think that the Chiefs are going to solidify themselves as one of the best teams, if not the best team, in the AFC moving forward. And uh, that's saying a lot because the Buffalo Bills look pretty damn good today, too. So uh, I think that you know when we're talking about a month and a half, a month from now, we're going to be talking about the Chiefs and the, and, the, and the Bills sitting there at the very top of this conference. Well, let's mosey around week 10 of the NFL. We'll head to Nashville, New Orleans, Tennessee. Chris, a, a loss of star power in this one. Uh, you know, when the schedules makers put the schedule out, you're looking at matchups, you're like, oh, the, it's going to be a great matchup. You got Kamara on one end and uh, Derrick Henry on the other. Yeah, that, that doesn't happen in week 10 of the NFL. Henry out, Kamara out today. No, no, um, quarterback situation with with Simeon now the starter in New Orleans with Winston gone no Julio Jones for Tennessee AJ Brown still banged up and despite all the the injuries right Chris despite the loss of their their basically their their number one guy Tennessee has found a way to win another game two in a row now they're eight and two and and, and look they're there you could pick this apart and say they're not as strong as they are but they got the W today 23-21 that's all that matters but there are issues you know Losing Henry and and it basically you can only, you're you're only rushing for 60 yards in this game. Marcus Johnson, your leading receiver, where did where this guy come from? You know, there's a lot of issues there, but they did what they had to do. The bottom line is they got the win, but Tennessee is a hurting hurting ball club right now. Yeah, this game, you know, another game they went right down the wire there. Trevor Simeon had a chance to uh, you know basically tie the game up, but wasn't able to do it. This is a Tennessee team that uh, look they they. They, they just stack up wins flat, flat out of out of They're not a style point type of team. And uh, look, I know a lot of you know, media people out there hate that term style points. And it's not really it isn't really a thing. It's just kind of like a, you know, a, a, a flashy thing that we in, in sports radio like to bounce around a little bit. But Ryan Tannehill, you know, started the day, wasn't feeling great at a stomach bug, apparently. And he when he woke up, he was feeling atrocious, I guess. And yet he's fine. He finds a way to extend the NFL's longest active winning streak right now, six games for the Tennessee Titans, and they get the victory over New Orleans. As you saw, Ryan Tannehill, you know, ran, ran for a touchdown and also and and threw for touchdowns, and they they were able to hold off the the uh, New Orleans Saints. They're the second NFL team, by the way, Tim, to win five straight over playoff teams from the season before. The uh, 2003 Philadelphia Eagles were the last team to do that, 17 or 18 years ago. Excuse me. So. Uh, by the way, Tennessee's seven and zero overall against twenty twenty playoff teams this year. So uh, after I just went on that whole 
little rant about how I think uh, Kansas City and Buffalo are the two best teams in the AFC. Maybe I have to start uh, rethinking that given what Tennessee's been able to do without the likes of Derrick Henry and some of their other key injuries out there, right? So uh, Mike Vrabel saying all the right things after the game, saying, you know, they do know how to win, and I'm thankful for that, talking about his team. And uh, when it comes to the New Orleans Saints, look, they dropped their second straight game since they lost Jameis Winston to that season-ending ACL injury. And so Sean Payton obviously not happy about that. And he was pumped about their game plan coming into the football game. He thought they really had a chance. And, uh, you know, uh, it was just he, when it came to Sean Payton, his, his viewpoint of the outcome, you just talked about how there's just too many little things that they didn't do right and that ended up costing the game. So you mentioned that, uh, you know, the trio of guys – that uh, you mentioned you know, the guys were out for the Titans. Of course, there's a bunch of guys out with Alvin Kamara because of that knee. You had Armstead out because of his, he had knee and shoulder issues. And you had Gardner Johnson out too, a defensive back for the Saints. He was out also, and you just put on IR. So, you know, despite the fact the Saints were able to outgain the Titans, you know, what, 373 to 264, uh, and had a chance to win and tie the game late, it, it's not about, uh, you know, there, there's no moral victories. No moral victories, Tim. When it comes to the NFL, and uh, there's certainly no moral victory whatsoever for the New Orleans Saints on Sunday against the the, uh, the former Tennessee Oilers. Let's stay in the AFC South. Indianapolis, a 23-17 win at home over Jacksonville. The Colts now 5-5 five and five on the season. So they've cre- creeped up to 500. They're putting themselves in the wild card situation. And they were – this game looked uh, – they looked on cruise control. Let's put it that way. They're up twenty to nine at the break, and then they just often. I don't. You know, I, I spent a good amount of time watching this game, and it was just like the, I don't know what the play calling situation was. It just seemed too conservative, and before you know it, Trevor Lawrence has the ball with a chance to win the game. You know, this is coming off last week's win over Buffalo, which was a, a big, big win for Jacksonville. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if the Colts were trying to give this away, Chris, but. They, they survived. You know, they survived. The Jags fall to 2-7. and seven. And Jonathan Taylor, man, this guy's fun to watch. 116 yards and a touchdown. He has eight TDs already on the season. Yeah, you look at the Jaguars, right? This is a team that uh, has 12 straight road losses and nine straight defeats against division teams that they play against. I mean, this is – but, you know, Carson Wentz still thought it was – you know, this is a big-time game. And I think that's kind of the mentality of the Colts, right? This is – this is a team that they, they feel like they're kind of been climbing out of a hole for a little while, right? You know, and, and, and this is one of those those games that Carson Wentz talked about after the game. He said, look, we didn't play our best. This was absolutely not our best game, but we were able to come away with a win. You get Jonathan Taylor with, you know, just runs across, uh, big-time runs all over the place. Obviously, you get when you get special teams plays, right, Tim? When you get block punts and things like that go down, that's going to help you win football games. And... When you look at this team, goals team, look, when we talk about the Colts, right, Tim, it's not even about the offense necessarily. We, we talk about this defense, and we all were able to see that this is a defense that held Twite for the – basically was solid throughout for the last three quarters of this football game, and it ended up being a big-time winning combination for them. That's why they ended up winning. You had, uh, you know, the Ture fumble recovery with 50 seconds left ended Jacksonville's hopes in that game. And so you had, uh, look, you've got Taylor pulling into a tie with Derrick Henry. Obviously, Henry's been hurt, but, you know, both of them have uh, 937 yards rushing. And, you know, Taylor's a guy who became the fourth player in the Super Bowl era 
to score a touchdown and produce a 100-yard scrimmage in seven straight games. That is flat-out consistency, Mr. Oglesby, and that is going to be big-time beneficial for the Colts if they're going to make a dent when it comes to the AFC playoff picture later on down the line here. And I guess we get kind of a, a barometer game for the Colts next week. You talked about Buffalo and the beatdown they put on the Jets, 45-17. Bills now 6-3. and three. Good way to rebound off of, of a, maybe a game they were mailing it in, sort of speak against Jacksonville last week. Well, Allen was, was clicking on all cylinders. Him and Diggs had a, had a big, big day together. And that's the matchup next week, Chris. So Indianapolis travels to Buffalo, and the Bills are a seven-point favorite. Your thought on the Bills and your thought on uh, next week's game? Talk about a team, Tim, that was upset over last week's performance, right? And was and was all kinds of fired up to play, even though it was against uh, the Jets. Hey, it's a division rival. So, I mean, they were just absolutely embarrassed last week. People talking about maybe they're overrated, maybe they're pretenders. That all went by the wayside in this game here. Uh, this defense picked off Mike White four times in the football game. The defense has been just unreal all season long. You've had multiple shutouts. It's been kind of like an anchor for this football team. You see Allen throwing two touchdown passes, and uh, and Buffalo ran for four scores. And, uh, yeah, you get a, big, a huge game for Stephon Diggs, but he had no touchdowns. The guy had a, like, a, a, like a, a bunch of yards, but never ended up uh, in the end zone. So, uh you know, you had you had Johnson, whether it was White, whether you had, you know, Poyer, all these guys picked off White. And you had, uh, and White's a guy obviously making his third straight start since the Zach Wilson injury. This is a Jets team, and look, I'll say it. I'll say it, Tim. I'm going to say it, okay? I'm a Detroit Lions guy. You know that. This is probably the worst team in football. The New York Jets probably is. I, 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 to be honest with you, it probably is. I mean, you have two wins, okay? The Lions have zero but it's just, I mean, this is just a bad football team all around from an offensive, defensive, special team standpoint. It's just really tough. Uh, you know, uh, if you're relying on, you know, Matt Amendola for your points for the Jets, then it's, <laughs> it's really going to be tough sledding the rest of the way for, the, uh, for, Grant, for Gang Green over there. About this game, Bills, Colts next week. I mean, it's a, it's a playoff-type matchup. And I, I'm saying that 10 week 10, you know, I started the show off, Chris, by saying, look, we're a little bit over halfway. Let's not get all crazy about the playoffs. But look, Indianapolis should be fighting for a wild card spot. You have to assume Buffalo is going to win that division, even though New England's playing really well right now. But this is it's, it's a playoff type game, you know, and, and the Bills, a seven point favorite in this matchup. Oh, no question about it. And this is going to be a lot of fun. No question. I mean, hey, this is a and this is a look. This is a Colts defense that that I think can come to play, and it's going to be it's going to be you know, they're going to present uh, serious issues for the Buffalo Bills from an offensive standpoint. So I'm looking forward to it. You already see the line out. The Bills favored by a touchdown in this football game. I expect that Tim to absolutely drop throughout this week, as uh, as I think more respect should be given to Indianapolis in this spot. Sneak one more game in here before we take the top of the hour timeout. How about let's let's just uh, let's just look at the game that you know the team I just talked about in the AFC East, the Patriots, now six and four, a forty-five-seven shellacking of Cleveland, 
a game that Mac Jones, three touchdowns. They, they were able to run the ball effectively. They were able to <laughs> pass the ball effectively. And the defense is huge for New England. Just an all-around great effort by the patch. You get Manet and Cleveland, man. What is up with this team? I'll tell you what, Tim. You know, you talk about, what, four weeks ago? You looked at this Patriots team. They're 2-4. and four, And you thought they were, they were going to be, you know, just basically irrelevant, right, when it came to the AFC. Despite the fact that I think a lot of people were high on Mac Jones and thought that this kid can be really good. Well, that's not the situation anymore. This is a New England team sitting at 6-4 and four right now. Mac Jones, by the way, I watched a lot of this game because this was on locally here in Vegas, right? And so we had a chance to see Mac Jones. He had some impressive throws out there today, including those three touchdown passes. We saw rookie uh, Ramondre Stevenson, the kid out of Vegas, by the way, you know, rushed for a career high, uh, 100 yards and a couple of touchdowns. And it was just, an, you, you used the word, a perfect word for it. It was a shellacking, right? And Baker Mayfield goes down with a knee injury. And so, you know, obviously that, that's, that's not good. He was already out there banged up. This is a Browns team that's dropped four of their last six games, and they hadn't won at New England since 1992, okay? When Bill Belichick was their coach, you know, <laughs> 1992, all right? So the Browns, you know, and the guy that was on the sidelines with the Patriots was over there for Cleveland. So solid game for Jones, throws for almost 200 yards. Hunter Henry also had a couple of touchdowns there, so that's good. You get the tight end in the mix there for the Patriots. This is another quality football team. Uh, again, I don't know how good they can be. I don't think they're going to be up there with the likes of the Bills and the Chiefs when the rubber meets the road come playoff time, but we shall see. Uh, it was uh, pretty impressive, though, to see what they did tonight. One down, one to go. When we come back, of course, in hour two, we're going to go through the rest of week 10 of the NFL, get you a little preview of tomorrow night's Monday night matchup with the Niners and the Rams, and a sneak peek of week 11 as we continue trek through the NFL Week 10 schedule. Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn. It's Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. The Vegas Golden Knights host the Carolina Hurricanes Tuesday at 6 on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM at 1340 AM, KKGK Las Vegas. The Heat Wave Sports Show is owned and produced by Tim Unglesby. All opinions expressed by the host or guests are their own and are not endorsed by either radio station KRLV management or any of their advertisers. Quick turnaround, Hour 2, Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. You can hear Heat Wave Sports every weekend, Saturday and Sunday night at 10 o'clock, except for next Saturday as the Vegas Golden Knights will be in action. So we'll be back next Sunday night again to go through the world of sports. And Chris, Chris Wynn, my my co-host tonight, Chris, t- tell everybody where they can find you on that social media. You, you not only talk about sports you talk politics you talk entertainment whatever the case may be you're that guy i'm all over the place tim and yes you can find me social media across the board you can find me at christian win on twitter you can also find me at christian william Wynn on facebook and at cwin 77 over on instagram and uh, as you mentioned i'm not afraid to bounce around to, to some local spots here in las vegas uh, you know stick my foot into some sports wagering as well as you know a, a number of other things that I get a chance to, to go around town, whether it's concerts. You talked about concerts. And of course, the, the a day in Las Vegas that was going down this weekend uh, was a big time success over there just uh, by Circus Circus and, uh, and Resorts World. It was a pretty good setup they had going on over there. 
And uh, so there's a lot of that going on around town. So it just uh, if you have an opportunity to see me out and about, get a chance to stop by and say hi, and we'll talk some sports or we'll talk about something else. Because you, you know me, Tim. I'm also not afraid to chime in when it comes to politics and entertainment and my music choices as well, too, because you and I, you know, we're, we're right there in the same camp when it comes to all that stuff. Exactly, exactly. So I've had two different people ask me off air to ask you this question, and um, it involves your team, the Detroit Lions. Does Is a tie acceptable for you as a fan, Chris? Is it like a win? It was brutal to say <laughs> the least, Tim. It is just flat-out brutal to watch this team right now in this franchise. Look, I don't want to go on like a 10-minute rant regarding the Lions. It was a game today against the Pittsburgh Steelers where they're without the likes of Ben Roethlisberger and Claypool was out also at the receiver position. It was a team that was sitting at 0-8, and it was basically a flat-out atrocious football game to watch if you're you know, looking for efficient football, if you're looking for NFL-quality football, if you're looking for excitement, this wasn't the game to watch. It was just basically, you know, and, and the weather was just horrible, and, you know, teams couldn't make extra points, and they couldn't make field goals, and it was just brutal. And, of course, it ends up in a tie. And so there's still a chance, Tim. There's still an opportunity for the Detroit Lions to be the first ever Oh, 16 and one football team. There's still a chance. And so that was just, it was just really rough. And I don't know, Tim, I, don't, I just don't know how to feel because I've been a fan since the late 70s, early 80s, the days of Billy Sims, right? And the days of Dexter Bussey and the days of Eric Hipple and the days of obviously Barry Sanders and the last team in 1991 that actually went to a playoff game and won a playoff game in 1991. I am turning 51 in about an hour, okay? I was 21 years old the last time they won a playoff game. That is what we're talking about here, Tim. That is what we're talking about. That's how futile this franchise is. And I don't want to hear it from Browns fans out there. I don't want to hear it from Bills fans out there, you know, who go to all the Super Bowls and lose. I don't want to even hear it from Raider fan. And I'm going to hear it from Raider fan here in Vegas because the Raider fans are still upset because you haven't even been to a Super Bowl since 2002. And I get it. I, I, I can understand that. But I, you're not on my level, okay? You're not on Detroit Lion fandom level that myself and, you know, Bernie, not, not necessarily Bernie because Bernie just covered the team, but Brian Feldman, uh, Clay Baker, you know, uh, go on down the line of people here in town that had to deal with this nonsense for decades and have to watch this team. And uh, look, but I, I, you know what? I'm not going to bail on them, Tim. I'm not going to bail on them. I'm sticking with them. Maybe it's just a birth thing. Maybe it's just a, you know, a thing where I just can't let go. I guess it is, because, but it's just so tough. It's just so tough, Tim, that to kind of watch this week in and week out and, you know, year in and year out just be you know the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the nfl this is the last thing i'll say on it you got you saw the movie moneyball right tim you see the movie moneyball oh yeah okay so when brad pitt aka billy bean says to everybody that's working for him all the scouts and all the you know the man to art howe and everybody when they're sitting at the table 
He says, you know, there's rich teams and then there's poor teams and then there's 50 feet of crap and then there's us. That's kind of the way I feel about the Lions, okay? It's not a money thing. It's just a, you know, it's a totem pole in the NFL thing is how I feel when I think about the Lions. So I, and, uh, so I guess I did kind of go on a mini rant there, but I'm sorry. I just had to because it's just so frustrating having to watch the Honolulu Blue and Silver every week and every year and deal with this on a consistent basis. <laughs> Granted, the weather was terrible. Um, Pittsburgh should have won this game convincingly. Mason Rudolph obviously is not a, a starting quarterback in the NFL, but I'll say this, and, and it's funny, I texted you and Brian after the kid missed the field goal to win the game, <laughs> yep. and it was ter- It was so bad. It, it, it barely looked like he kicked it. It was so bad. You know, Jared Goff, he needed the com- whole complete overtime session, Chris, to break 100 yards in passing. He had like something like 70 yards heading into overtime. It was, it was terrible. And if it wasn't for DeAndre Swift, who just amazingly, he, he looked great today, he just couldn't get in the end zone, you know. And I, I don't know what to say. You had a trick, kind of a trick play for a touchdown. You had everything going to, to somehow find a way to win it, and you end up with a tie. Just like you said, it kind of just puts an exclamation point on the franchise itself. And, can, you know, can we look at it? Do you see a win on the, this UNLV, this UNLV Rebel This Do you see a win on this schedule? Well, it's kind of hilarious, right? It's got to even think about that. Um, I mean, I guess it could be next week, right? Yeah. I mean, next week, could they, beat the, could they beat the Browns? The Browns are a team that's reeling right now. Um, it looks like Case Keenan is probably going to start next week, right? I mean, he's going to be the guy that's going to be behind center. So, I mean, is Cleveland? But, but you look at the line, Tim. You look at the line. It's, it's, the Browns are favored by 10 points. So, um, Thanksgiving is always intriguing, I guess. Maybe intrigue is not the right word when you talk about the Lions, but it's Thanksgiving, right? And they're playing the Bears, and the Bears are three and six. So look, I'm not going to be shocked beyond all belief if they find out somehow grind a win out against the Chicago Bears. But but again, Tim, this is all academic. You know what I mean? Either they win two games this season or three. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're going to be in that. You know, they're going to be in the conversation for the number one overall pick. And it's, they're probably going to take this picket kid out of Pittsburgh, you know, because they're going to want to get a quarterback because of what you talked about, about Jared Goff. Look, Jared Goff is a guy that I wanted, I wanted to believe, Tim. I wanted to believe that a new face in a new place, you know, it'd be something that's good for him and that maybe he could, you know, he could turn things around and, 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 and reestablish himself as a, as a decent quarterback in the league. Hasn't gone that way, man. And today, as you pointed out, Today was just more evident that he is not the guy and that this is not a situation that is beneficial for him whatsoever. And he might, he'll, he'll just have to go off to somebody else and be a backup or, you know, be, you know, maybe, uh, maybe somebody that can try to crack uh, a starting quarterback gig somewhere. I doubt it. But no, Tim, playing, if you want a UNLV, look at the schedule. No, I don't see... Uh, you know, they could absolutely lose to the Browns next week. They could 100% lose to the Bears on Thanksgiving. And then you've got to match up with the Vikings, who are playing pretty well. You, you have to go to Denver to play the Broncos, which is, which is that one game every, you know, for every team this year where it's kind of like a, a game that doesn't go along with the you know, traditional year-by-year schedule. They're playing that one AFC West team this year that on the road. They're playing the Broncos. 
And then they have to play the Cardinals, uh, the Falcons, and then the Seahawks and the Packers around the season. Now, I mean, just now, I, I mean, <laughs> uh, they could, I think it absolutely. I, I mean, I was, I was, I was trying to be tongue in cheek, I guess, but they can absolutely go 0, 16 and one. They absolutely could. And, uh, you know, despite the fact that if they, they might pull out a win against the likes of Chicago or Cleveland. Chris, haven't we been down this road of the winless Lions? Haven't we already done this? Yes. I, I'm sorry, Tim. I didn't miss you there. I didn't hear you. I said, haven't we already done this with no wins for the Lions? I, I, you know, it's, it's one thing to do it once, but twice? Really? Yeah, no question. We did it back in 2008. And we did it, what, in 2017, I believe, with the Cleveland Browns? Or is it 2016? Yeah. Either way. The, the two teams that are 0-16. The other team, of course, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who were 0-14 back when they only played 14 games. So, yeah, that, that, this, this, the Lions, uh, you know, have kept a very futile company when it comes to being an 0-14. team. And, fortunately, it looks like they could be uh, on that docket twice. Uh, which is, you know, twice more than almost every other team in the NFL, which is sad. The Dallas Cowboys now 7-2 and two after a beatdown of the Atlanta Falcons 43-3 to three in, in Big D today. And they're starting to stretch that lead in the East as they maintain a three-and-a-half game lead over the Eagles in the NFC East. And this one, just you know, after a close first quarter, right, Dallas just uh, the pressure to Matt Ryan, forcing him into turnover after turnover. And this game got away from the Falcons quickly en route to Dallas's seventh win. Coming off that loss last week there in Denver, they, they got beat They got beat up in Denver last week. They returned the favor to Atlanta this week, Chris. A nice performance by the Cowboys. Talk about impressive in all three phases of the game, right, Tim? You look at this Cowboys victory over Atlanta. I mean, you have obviously Dak Prescott throwing for a couple of touchdowns you have Ezekiel to end up hitting Pater twice and then from a from a special team standpoint you've got that uh that Sean Wright recovery of that block punt in the end zone after uh after a week after by the way that he touched one that kept Dallas from getting the ball as the Cowboys end up uh with that big time you know 43-3 win and then defensively obviously we saw what they're able to do against a Falcons team that look a Falcons team I think that has some pieces from an offensive standpoint you love Kyle Pitts uh, at the tight end position for them. He's a guy that's going to be, a, I think, a big-time factor for them moving forward. Matt Ryan's not done, okay? He's not, look, he's not out there even coming close to being the MVP candidate that he was, but he's still out there. I think he's serviceable, and there are some pieces there. And how about C.D. Lamb? I mean, C.D. Lamb is quickly marching up the ranks of wide receivers in the NFL, Tim. This is a guy that is uh, flat-out opening a ton of eyes around the NFL, and mine, mine too, because I did not think that this guy was going to be this good. This guy's unbelievable. And so, uh, you know, the, the uh, Matt Ryan ends up, you know, getting the Falcons down to the Dallas 20 in just four plays on the first possession before uh, they end up selling for a field goal. I mean, you can't, I mean, the, 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 the Falcons had chances, right, to, to score in this game, and they end up, you know, and they, they either just turn the football over or they, you know, settle for, settle for the one field goal they had. I mean, they just, they just were not able to take advantage of anything offensively, and it cost them. And, uh, you know, Prescott goes for almost 300 yards passing, and that's after sitting for the whole fourth quarter as well, too. So uh, pretty impressive win for the uh, Cowboys. And, yep, you're right, they sit at 7-2. to two. And, uh, look, they're far and away the best team in the NFC East. 
we can we can get excited about the the WFT and and uh, and and a little bit of chirping about the Eagles. But that being said, this is a Dallas team, and look, I'm not a Dallas fan by any stretch of the imagination. This is a quality football team, and they're going to be something to reckon with come NFC playoff time. WFT with a nice 29-19 win over the Bucks today at home. In a, in a, you know, a team, look, Washington, a playoff team last year, Ron Rivera, they lose Fitzpatrick early this year. Haneke has to step in, and he looked he looked good today. You know, right, right Chris, 256 yards, he had a touchdown. But I think it was the, the mixes that Rivera was kind of confusing the, the legend in Tom Brady today. He kept him kept him guessing a lot, and, and Brady just, look, the, the guy's superhuman, we know that, but he has a bad game every once in a while. He, he just he just he didn't have it today, and, you know, that happens to a team like the Bucks. The Bucks were a 10-point favorite on the road today, though, Chris. And, Tim, Bruce Arians is a guy that's not afraid to mince words, right? He's not afraid to lay his opinion out there. And he said it was just flat-out embarrassing. It's their second consecutive loss on either side of the bye week. So, that, I mean, that's not good for the Buccaneers. I mean, yeah, they're sitting at 6-3 at and three right now. But you, when you got Tom Brady getting picked off twice in his first six passes, and, you know, you got the Buccaneers basically surrendering a clock-killing 19-play drive there that ends up stealing the win for Washington, that's not good, okay? And... You know, yes, I get it, okay? I think, you know, Heineke is a decent quarterback, all right? Is he a franchise quarterback? No, okay? And I do like Antonio Gibson, right? And I do like, uh, you know, I, I, mean, I do like some of these pieces that they have. And, uh, and DeAndre Carter, by the way, you know, by the way, had, you know, obviously a good game too. But, you know, it's, it was also the Buccaneers making mistakes, okay? You had you know, that pass interference on uh, the Bucks that set up Gibson's first touchdown. And uh, you just had a bunch of just self-inflicted mistakes that the Bucks ended up making. And they flagged, what, six times for 43 yards. And so Arians was just adamant about that after the game. He's talking about how, like, the st- and he did it in classic Arians way, Tim, right? You know, the stupidity has to go away if we're going to go anywhere. We were a very <laughs> dumb football team, and that's a reflection on the coaches. So he's taking some heat for it himself. You know, and he's actually owning it himself. But it was just, look, it's, it's how Bruce Arians is. That's how he's going to handle it. But uh, uh, not, not great performance, to say the least, if you're the Super Bowl champions looking to kind of build on something moving forward throughout the rest of the season. Right, Tim? Yeah, it's, I just chalk it out. You know, you're right. There's two straight now they've lost. And um, I wouldn't say they weren't prepared to come into this game. I think. I, I want to, you know, I, I want to give credit where it's due to to Ron Rivera. I think he really did present a a scheme that that confused Brady a little bit. And you know what, he's not going to win them all. But you you know, you kind of look at that division. I think it's very very winnable for the Bucks still, with the Saints who really don't have a quarterback, uh, the Panthers who really don't have a quarterback, and the Falcons who are just hanging on as it is. So I, there's no doubt the Bucks still win that division. And already, if you want to look ahead. Tampa gets an extra day's rest. They play next Monday night at home against the Giants, and again, they're a double-digit favorite. Yeah, and it's look. This is clearly one of those teams in the NFL, right, where you they they are a much different team, in my opinion, when they're down there at Raymond James Stadium than they when they're playing on the road. I mean, that's just it. Just to me, that's just uh, it, it's to me that's an obvious statement. 
And uh, look, you, you would think that they would be able to kind of bounce back from this loss and, and be able to kind of put a hurting on the Giants next week. But uh, it's the NFL, and look, this week's been a wacky week in the NFL, so I, would, I, wouldn't expect, I would expect maybe some surprises next week as well, too, for that uh, team. But uh, we'll see exactly if, uh, if the Buccaneers can, and can heed uh, what's, what's about to take place here this week, with, whether it's practice with Arians and how the approach is all going to be with him and Tom Brady after a game like this where I think they do think they're embarrassed. And I, I think they're going to take that to heart, and it's going to be uh, instrumental in their pre- preparation for this matchup coming up next week against New York. If you look at the Carolina Panthers, and, and granted, they did this without the Kyler Murrays and the Hopkins playing right for the cards, but they get a, a nice 34-10 win on the road in Phoenix against Arizona to even their record at 5-5. Five and five. And, and P, look, P.J. Walker's not going to be that guy, but when you have the, I like to call him the ultimate weapon, Chris, and Christian McCaffrey, you see what he is to this team. When he was out, they were a shell of their a shell of themselves, and, and granted, a lot of that had to do with Sam Darnold's mental issues, I think, as as he started making mistakes, he just got progressively worse. But with McCaffrey in there, the ultimate weapon, almost 100 yards rushing, another 10 grabs out of the backfield. A one-man machine today, 34-10, they win. They pull the 5-5. Five and five. The Cardinals now 8-2. and two. And it was interesting what Christian McCaffrey had to say after this game, right, Tim? Christian McCaffrey said, today was a good example of what this team can be. I would expect that he's referring to, you know, an addition like Cam Newton at the quarterback position. You're exactly right, Tim, when it comes to P.J. He is a XFL transplant, okay? He's not somebody that is going to be a regular quarterback in the NFL. There's some people that question whether or not he's even a backup quarterback in the NFL. That being said, Cam Newton, you know, takes the snap there on third down, and it was like he never left the team, right, Tim? It was like he never was away from the Carolina Panthers. He was in that familiar jersey, that blue, black, and silver jersey, the number one, and he goes rolling in the end zone for that two-yard touchdown, and then he proceeds to uh, rip his helmet off, and, and uh, you know, that whole display, after I wasn't really down with that as far as screaming on back, you know, as his teammates celebrated around him. And, you know, Christian McCaffrey had some kind of little weird dance going on there in the end zone. But, look, Camp Newton, the guy, I think he still has some left in the tag. He's 32 years old. Uh, you know, he kind of provided a flashback today of his MVP days there in his second debut with the Panthers. You know, when you, when you throw for a touchdown, you run for another one, and you're kind of the spark behind uh, that win over uh, over a really good, by the way, Arizona Cardinals team. Just You know, look, obviously not having Kyler Murray there, okay, and DeAndre Hopkins kind of played into the result today. And it wasn't going to be 34-10 to 10 Carolina if you got those guys on the field for Arizona but, you know, it was still, you know, it was, it's good for Panther fans to see. And it might create a little bit of intrigue there in the NFC South because you talked about, you know, these other teams in that division regarding, you know, having to go up against the Buccaneers. And, and you know, and, basic, and uh, I'm not saying you dismiss Carolina, but, you're, you know, you weren't exactly talking about Carolina like, oh, they're going to be a team that's going to be there. And I, I would probably concur with you. But that being said, I think it adds a little bit of intrigue, right, to the NFC South, having Cam back there in that uniform. And we and and on this show, Tim, you'd like to, you'd like to do it, and I love it. You, you like to talk about the matchups next week. How about this matchup with Carolina taking on the Washington football team? Who is the coach for Washington? 
and Cam Newton is probably going to be the starting quarterback for Carolina. You want to talk about a game that people want to keep their eyes on? It's going to be this matchup between WFT and the Carolina Panthers. Sometimes it's crazy how things work out, don't they, Chris? And you said all the backstory lines uh, you can you can build up going into this game. And it, it's going to be, I, I, you know, I'm actually looking forward to this one next week. It's one of the, the morning matchups. Of course, I'll be watching the Bears and the Ravens, but I'll, ha- I'll have the peeps on and flat, uh, switching back and forth. Carolina, a field goal favorite in, in the game coming up Sunday against at home against Washington. And you know the thing about the Newton, just to jump on, on yours, your take real quick, He's he's had nine weeks off, right? He's had two and a half months off, to, uh, basically. He's he's healthy, and and I can't think we kind of saw that today. Yeah, that can be a big thing, right, Tim? When you're talking about quarterbacks and running backs and receivers, like it it can be absolutely beneficial, right? You don't even think about the rust. I mean, there there was some there were some hilarious comments, to be honest with you, by by you know talking heads after this football game out. Cam Newton, you know, maybe he's been, re, you know, rejuvenated, and now he has fresh legs because he hasn't, you know, been out there just taking a beating uh, for for the last nine weeks. So, yeah, maybe this is something that could absolutely be beneficial for him, and then, you know, by extension, the Carolina Panthers. Chris Wynn, Tim Unglesby, Heat Wave Sports, Sunday night, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. It's final timeout. We come back, of course, the rest of Week Ten of the NFL, and tomorrow night. You got the 49ers and the Rams battling there in Frisco. The Rams, a a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and a couple new additions. We'll talk about that game as well as we wind down here to a Monday morning. Back after this. Going to look at the rest of Week 10 in the NFL here as we wind down a Sunday night in Las Vegas. Tim Ugglesby, Chris Wynn, Heat Wave Sports. This is the show. Longest running. Chris, this is the longest running local show in Las Vegas. Did you know that? I did not know that, and rightfully so. Right, Tim? <laughs> it's Tim Ugglesby. It's Tommy Barton. It's sometimes you get others from the you know, the Heat Wave Sports family to jump in, myself included. And uh, I, I would expect nothing less because you're talking about top-notch info. We had a chance to bounce things around a little bit, give some opinion, as well as, uh, you know, some uh, fun talk radio topics out there as well, too. So uh, I'm not surprised in the least bit that this show has been able to have fun that it's had for so long. You're too kind, my friend, as well as the, the listeners that we've had over the years. We appreciate everybody listening in and you know, it's you really know, and it may be a small group, Chris. Maybe a small group, but you really know how much people um, are just used to you or enjoy listening to the content when you're off, when you don't have a show, and you're all of a sudden just bombarded with messages. No show tonight. What happened? You know, that that makes me feel good. That that uh, after shoot, we're going on 12 years now, Chris. Can you believe that? 12 years here at with Lotus. Yeah, and a quick point, too, on that, Tim. You know, for the Las Vegas sports media as a whole, right? Look, we understand that it is a town that is growing, that is booming, and, you know, the sports landscape is changing just, you know, just astronomically, and it's become a big-time sports town. But it's still, from the sports media standpoint and from the fans out there and the listeners, it's still kind of a small town. You know what I mean? It still has that kind of feel. 
you know, when you go around town, when I go around town, when we deal with our fellow media members where, you know, look, we, everybody knows everybody, you know what I mean? Like when it comes to the media, everybody is engaged and everybody is, uh, you know, is almost, is essentially almost on a first name basis. So that's kind of a unique thing that I love about Las Vegas. And, uh, it extends to, uh, us in the sports media, as well as, uh, the people that work in radio and television in this town. Yep. I feel the same way over at Lambeau Packers. Aaron Rodgers back in the fold this week, Chris, and they shut out the Seahawks with a returning Russell Wilson as well. But they get the 17-0 victory. They put it away in the fourth quarter with two touchdowns, but a solid, solid win for Green Bay. 8-2, 4-0 at home on the year. Yeah, talk about a game that didn't have a whole lot of a lot of offense, Tim, for the first three quarters. A game that was 3-0 going into the fourth quarter. And then Green Bay was kind of able to get things kind of rolling, right? Obviously, when you have two quarterbacks that are coming back for different reasons, obviously, you know, we all understand the whole Aaron Rodgers situation that went down. And, of course, the Russell Wilson injury coming back. You would think that out of those two quarterbacks, Russell would be more rusty, and he proved to be the more rusty out of the two. He ends up, you know, completing basically 50% of his passes, doesn't have a touchdown pass, a couple of picks, in this football game, and it kind of led to that Seahawks offense being stagnant for the first three quarters of this football game and for the entire football game, obviously, because they got shut out. For Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, he was able to kind of, you know, get his bearings straight after sitting out that game and ends up having a decent game. Didn't have a big-time Aaron Rodgers-type game. But to me, Tim, the story here in this football game is what's going down with the running back position because Aaron Jones looked like he was pretty banged up. I haven't looked at or seen any of the details regarding whether or not he's going to be out for a while, but A.J. Dillon, it looks like he's solidified himself. He's going to be that guy moving forward for them. And he was pretty impressive there in the, in the, in the fourth quarter, getting a couple of touchdown runs. He had a couple of plays where he was able to, to break free. He's, he was being referred to as that, that battering ram type of back, and that's exactly what he is. Aaron Jones, kind of like the multi-purpose, you know, can catch the ball in the backfield and do other things. But it's going to change this Green Bay offense a little bit from a dynamic standpoint if A.J. Dillon is going to be that, that uh, guy in the backfield uh, if, if, obviously, Aaron Jones is out for a long extended period of time. Devontae Adams you know, at, was able to have you know, a half-decent game. He wasn't able to get in the end zone. But uh, you've got to applaud both the Packers' defense in this football game and also you know, Green Bay offensively able to do just enough to get the victory over their NFC foe in Seattle. So the Packers 8-2, and two, a three-and-a-half game lead over Vikings in that division, and this is the matchup next week. It'll be uh, Green Bay going to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. They're a small favorite, Chris, but a win next week in Minnesota, and already you can kind of just start talking about a division title. I mean, I know there's still plenty of time to go, but you're talking about almost a five-game lead with about See, what would it be, 11? So with six games to go, I mean, it's kind of insurmountable, really, when you look at it. There's no question, and let's be clear. I mean, even, you know, especially last week, given, what, you know, the discussion up there in Minneapolis-St. Paul regarding, you know, obviously Mike Zimmer, and, and uh, he was essentially on the hottest hot seat that you can be as a coach last week. And obviously we're going to talk about this Chargers-Vikings game coming up next. But 
there there hasn't been really any is there, is there any really question who's going to win this division? It's going to be Green Bay. Green Bay is going to win the division. You talked about and by the way, you talk about the matchup next week. They're taking on Minnesota. How about back to back the next two games for the Packers as far as measuring stick games? You're going to play a division game against Minnesota and then oh by the way, the week after that, Rams Packers in a matchup that could be a preview of the NFC Championship game or a late playoff game in the NFC picture. So, yes, we're going to see exactly where the rubber meets the road when it comes to the Packers here in the next couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, obviously you wanted to see Aaron Rodgers back in the fold. Packer fans, regardless of what you feel regarding Aaron Rodgers and that whole saga and everything that went down and whether he lied or whether he didn't lie or all that stuff, you know the deal, right, Tim? Packer fans, you know Packer fans. They don't care about all that. They, they're out there. They're out there today at Lambeau cheering just as loud for Aaron Rodgers, just trying to get a victory. You know, even people that were probably upset with how the whole thing went down with Rodgers, they still are out there cheering for their guy, number twelve, behind center. Vikings got to four and five with a road victory over the Chargers, twenty-seven twenty. Uh, just. You know, you talked about the Chargers earlier in the show when we discussed the NF or the AFC West and just the heckle and jekyll in the team behind the Charger team. I think you can kind of say the same thing for the Vikings, but when they're on, and I'm talking about Cousins and Cook and Jefferson's just a beast there for, for the Vikings, when they're on and they were able to get pressure on Herbert today many, many times get uh, rattle the kid a little bit up there you know the, the Vikings are a potent team it's just they don't get the consistent effort this win in LA for Minnesota Tim I say might and I emphasize might get Minnesota back on track okay look they're still four and five and there's still a bunch of teams in my opinion that are better than them in the NFC but pretty impressive to go on the road and beat the likes of the Chargers here, despite the fact the Chargers have lost three of four since being four and one. And you can ab- accurately describe the Chargers right now as a team that's kind of reeling. But as I referred to a little bit earlier, as far as Mike Zimmer, in a week where, you know, you know, basically this is a Vikings team that's bounced back from two straight close losses. I mean, you think about the, all five losses for the Vikings this year have been by a combined 18 points. Okay, and by the way, they came into the game with five guys on the COVID-19 list, including, you know, Harrison Smith back there in the secondary and also the the center, Garrett Bradbury. So, you know, they're also missing four other guys on the defensive side because the guy's being hurt. So, and you had, by the way, you also had that situation going on with Dalvin Cook with, you know, a former girlfriend filing a lawsuit and, uh, you know, for an alleged assault. And you had all that kind of surrounding the team. So... Kind of, uh, you know, I, I guess decent to see that the Vikings were, they didn't seem phased by that, you know, who basically throughout this game had the ball for over, what, 36 minutes. And they're, they're within a half game now, Carolina, for the NFC's final playoff spot. So, you know, you talked about Kirk Cousins. He throws a couple of touchdown passes to Kyler, Tyler Conklin and Dalvin Cook. Cook rushes for almost 100 yards. And then you have the, you know, breakout game by Justin Jefferson, right? We were talking all kinds of stuff about Justin Jefferson a year ago. And, uh, you know, he had only five catches, basically, in the last two games. So he comes in and has a big-time game with nine catches for 143 yards also. So, um, you know, these are two teams kind of going in different directions right now. Uh, I mentioned, of course, the Chargers, a team that, you know, has dropped three of their past four games. 
you expect Ian Allen to have 100 yards receiving. He seems to do that every week. But he's got to get in the end zone if the Chargers are going to win football games. And, yeah, they were able to – look, they were able to get a, a couple of touchdowns from uh, the rookie Roundtree and Austin Eckler there to give them a lead. But, obviously, Minnesota was able to come back with, uh, you know, just uh, just over under three minutes left in the third. And on a fourth and goal, you get uh, that Conklin touchdown catch in the back of the end zone on that crossing route where you had uh, both Derwin James and Gilman basically running into each other. So – and then, of course, the Cook touchdown gave the Vikings that uh, extended the lead out to 10 points. So, I mean, this is a this is a Charger team that's going to have to figure it out. We were we were talking glowingly, right, about about obviously Herbert and uh, and, and this team from an offensive standpoint, and also some of the pieces on defense. They got to figure things out because they, they're going to, you know, it's not going to get much easier for them looking at their schedule moving forward. You you look at the Chargers and what we've seen. Again, we've talked about teams that looked great in the first half of the season and now as the second half has progressed. So Keenan Allen's always going to be that guy. You said it. And uh, Eckler, probably the best. Well, right there with McCaffrey, I'd say the top two running backs out of the backfield, no doubt about it. Weapons, running the ball and receiving. But the Mike Williams, that's the story for me. Is his, And I don't know what happened here is, you know, he's the second option. He would have a, You would think he'd have a better opportunity week in and week out to put up statistics as he did in the first half of the season. He's been like a ghost the last few weeks for Herbert. And, and you know, it's resulted in losses. No, there's no doubt. And they and you talked about this is a team. Th- there's a couple of Jekyll and high points to the season. I mean, you had the obviously the close loss to the cow- to the Cowboys. And then you had the, uh, you know, the situation where they were just boat raced by the Ravens in that game. But uh, But every other game, they've been absolutely impressive, to say the least. And uh, oh, the Patriots game too, as well too. The pa- but that was a close game as well too. So, um, you know, yeah, they're they're uh, they're one of those teams. And you think about, I just mentioned the Vikings losing a lot of games by uh, just a few points. This is another Charger team that's also been been you know a team that's kind of leaned in that direction as well too. But you're exactly right. They got to make sure that you know from an offensive standpoint they are getting other guys involved because I think that's one of their strengths as a team is if they are able to kind of spread the football around and not just rely on Austin Eckler and not just rely on Keenan Allen to, to put up all numbers for this team. And uh, again, uh, they, they might have a spot here where they can get themselves right because you're playing a Sunday night football game against the likes of the Pittsburgh Steelers who, you know, obviously Ben Roethlisberger, we'll see what the deal is, but I, it's, you know, it's not exactly a, uh, a gauntlet type Pittsburgh team. It's sitting at five, three, and one right now in that matchup coming up next week. Yeah, you get a, you get a home game, prime time, field goal and hook in that one. Yeah, you, you said it. You got to get right, especially with the way that we talked about Kansas City and the schedule coming up. You want to get a win here before it gets away from them because I think Kansas City's about to go on a run, Chris, and you want to stay in the mix there. Maybe not even so much for the division title, but for a wild card situation. One more game left in the afternoon. <clears throat> Saw the Philadelphia Eagles hit Denver and leave with a win 30-13. to It's a dominating effort by the defense here for Philly as they were able to keep Teddy Bridgewater uh, running for his life, basically, in this one. And they could not establish. Uh, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Week in and week out. They looked so good last week against Dallas terrible this week against Philly. 
Yeah, you talk about this Philadelphia Eagle defense. They were monstrous in this football game. Obviously, you know, it was. it's nice if you're a Philly fan to see Hurts and Devontae Smith hooking up in the end zone. But when you're talking about, you know, you get Davion Taylor where he punches that ball out of Melvin Gordon's arms, you know, just as he bullied his way across the line on a fourth and one from the Eagles' 23-yard line. I mean, the Broncos right there, they're driving for the time touchdown. They're late in the third quarter. So that was a big-time play. And then, of course, the play that uh, a lot of people are going to remember from a high, from a highlight perspective, you had uh, Darius Slay, former Detroit Lion cornerback, by the way, Darius Slay, you know, scoop up that loose football in the final play of the third quarter, returns at 83 yards for a touchdown, and that essentially sparked the Eagles out to that, uh, you know, 30-13, to 13, which was an upset, by the way, the Broncos there on Sunday. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those deals where, I, you look, Teddy Bridgewater – I, I don't know where I am on him, Tim. I mean, where are you on Teddy Bridgewater? I think, you know, if everybody wants to call quarterbacks game managers, you know, and use that phrase, and, you know, is is the guy a franchise guy? I'm sorry. I mean, I don't, I mean, it, I don't look at Teddy Bridgewater and say to myself, yeah, this is the guy that I want to put my team on his shoulders for the next three, four, five, six years. I just, I just don't see it, you know, and maybe, and maybe it, 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 tell me if I'm wrong, Tim. Am I not seeing something here when it comes to him at the quarterback position? No, I, I'm in agreement. I think Teddy's a great story. You know, the the injury, the knee injury that basically that we thought that was it for his career, and he's able to come back and become a starting quarterback in the NFL again. I, I, I love the story. I like Teddy, but you're right. Is he a uh, franchise guy? No. Is he a starter? Obviously, and... He's a guy that I think will just kind of poke around until his time's over, you know. What is this, his third team in the last three seasons, right, Chris? So he, he's a guy that's going to fill fill gaps where they're needed. Uh, he's a reasonable, reasonably priced quarter, starting quarterback, I guess you could put it. And, and uh, he's going to he's gonna win some games for you, but then again, he's going to look like he did today. And, and I don't blame him 100% on it. I think the Eagle defense shut down all his weapons. There's no doubt about it, but... To answer your question, I, no, I, I don't think uh, we're missing anything here. He is what he is. And to quickly add on that to Tim, because there was that play in this football game that I mentioned with Slay where he reversed the field, ran down the field, and he ends up slipping. You know, Eric Saubert, the uh, tight end uh, for the Broncos, ended up he slid by his tackle. And at the 30-yard line, he's running right past Teddy Bridgewater. And Bridgewater didn't even try to tackle him at the at the Philadelphia 45-yard line. And so after the game, obviously, and during the game, they were there was like criticism at Bridgewater that he had no heart. How are you going to let him roll in there and give them a 27-13 lead and not even try to make the tackle there? I believe one of the announcers called it a quote-unquote business decision by Bridgewater. And after the game, Teddy said, he explained it by saying, well, I was trying to turn Slay back towards the middle of the field so a teammate could make the tackle, but there was no there was no more orange jerseys at that point around, like in the area. And as I mentioned, I mean that touchdown gave them a 27-13 lead. My my basic point is this, Tim. You don't you you don't want to add fuel to the fire that you're not the guy and then have stuff like this come up where the perception is that you're, you know, you know, too much of a pansy, excuse my terminology, that you're not even gonna go make a tackle on a you know on a situation where you know a guy is it's between you and the guy in the end zone and it doesn't even look like you made any effort whatsoever. Oh, I agree. I 
he just let the guy run right by him, basically, is from what I saw. And um, you're right, can't you can't make decisions like that. But it, it it was a business decision, right? He's playing for a contract, and I'm not saying it's right, Chris, but you know that's in the back of his head. I'm not getting hurt and risking the rest of my career. No point taken. I I, I guess and and I guess so, but. I don't know. I mean, I guess you're in that moment, right? You're on that field. I don't know how you don't make that. Dis- you know, I don't know how that doesn't alter your approach to the situation, I guess, right. is the way I'm trying to describe it and the way that you would look at that. Denver is off next week, so they'll come off, come back off the bye, 5-5. Five and five. And Philly, chance to, you know, I don't, I don't think they're catching Dallas, right? We've already talked about that. Washington and Philly probably aren't catching Dallas, but – Want to stay in that wild card chase, and Philly's been able to put put together a little run here. Smith and Hertz have seemed to hook up, like you said. And next week they get the Saints coming to town, and a small favorite for Philadelphia. You got to kind of like the Eagles on the momentum right now. No question, right, Tim? And uh, right now Philadelphia, what a short favorite in that Saints game. I think a uh, point and a half right now. It's sitting at, and then you got uh, the back-to-back New Jersey run, Tim with the uh, Giants and the Jets for the Eagles. So, you know, and then they come back home to play the Washington football team. So, I, I mean, there's definitely opportunity here for the Eagles. Um, I'm just strictly looking at it from the their team standpoint where I think they stand in the pecking order when it comes to the NFC. And I think it's just going to be a tough run for the Eagles to kind of make, kind of navigate their way through that, given that, you know, Dallas is, in my opinion, probably going to win the division. And I just don't know if I see a second NFC East team that's going to be the playoff picture when it comes to wild cards. And week 10 will end tomorrow night with Monday Night Football. The Rams travel to San Francisco to take on the Niners. L.A. with a chance to tie Arizona in first place in the West with a win. They're 7-2. and 4-0 and on the road are the Rams. And the Niners, the exact opposite. Three and five, zero and four on their home field, Chris. Unbelievable. Zero and four on your home field. This one is a three and a half point line for the Rams, and a, and a big week for the Rams, right? Right, Chris. You bring in a, in a, a new receiver to add to that rotation, but then you lose one. Yeah, you lose one, and then you bring in one that now is going to have to be instrumental, right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to uh, essentially that's the case. I mean, that's what that's what you're looking at, and uh, it what's kind of uh, ironic about this game, Tim, is that the Niners are looking for their fifth straight win over the Rams. They're looking for their fifth straight over this team. And look, this is it, there's, there's nothing more evident than 2021 is different than 2020 in the fact that, you know, uh, these teams obviously haven't played so far this season. Not obviously, they just haven't. Uh, last time they played, the Niners beat the Rams uh, by a field goal back in November of last year down in LA. So um this is a going to be it's going to be a fun matchup though because I think it's going to be fun to watch kind of a you know that San Francisco defense go against that Rams offense. And I'll be intrigued to find out how exactly OBJ kind of fits into this whole mix because obviously the loss of Robert Woods is massive. All right, there's no way around it. You know, obviously Cooper Cup is the number one receiver there, but Robert Woods has just been a stalwart. It's been a has been a, a steady hand there in L.A. for, what, the past four or five seasons, it seems like. And so that's a big-time loss. And OBJ is not really his skill set. That's not really what OBJ does, 
what Robert Woods does. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see how it all fits in with that. But I still continue. I still uh, look for Matthew Stafford to keep you know improving from week to week in that offense and on that team. And I and and you know obviously having watching Stafford throughout his career, you know there's been ebbs and flows throughout his career, but he's it's clearly evident that he has a big time arm and that, you know, the, when you have, you know, a, a young coaching prodigy like they have there, he's found innovative ways to get Stafford involved. And so I'm, I'm looking to see that continue to get better week to week. And have they had a couple stumbles with the Rams? Absolutely. They've had a couple stumbles, right? I mean, you, you got, you got, you lost, uh, you know, by 17 to, to the Cardinals. Okay. You have that. You have, you have that uh, matchup, of course, where the 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 uh, uh, the uh, the only other loss as well too. They have uh, where they lost to uh, the Titans, right? They lost the, the Titans game back on uh, in early November. But I mean, look, those are two quality football teams, right? So it's not like the Rams have gone out there and laid an egg against some garbage team. They've gotten beat by decent football teams, but they're going through what a lot of NFL teams go through, right, Tim? And that's, you know, transition, injury, and how to deal with it. And so we'll see exactly how that transpires here against their NFC West foe there in San Francisco. Yeah, a lot of problems with San Francisco. And, uh, look, it it all stems from the quarterback position, right? And, you know, you draft Trey Lance. At what part do you, do you just not go that route, right? Jimmy G is not, obviously not going to be the guy, right, Chris? So at what point do they just turn it over to Trey Lance? Well, that's what the higher-ups with the San Francisco 49ers, why they get paid the big bucks, Tim, because I can't answer, like, a specific game, but I got to believe it's going to be pretty soon, right? It's got to be pretty soon if, it's, if you're talking about San Francisco. I mean, uh, look no further than last week with the Niners. I mean, they lose to the Arizona Cardinals. Right. By the way, a Cardinals team that was shorthanded, you know, ends up John, I mean, John Connor and James Connor has a huge game where he has a couple of touchdowns. He caught that 45 yard touchdown pass. I mean, it's I mean, they basically get lit up. OK, the Niners do. You look at what they have off from an offensive standpoint, the Niners. Right. And so, I mean, you, you don't get excited about, you know, some of the about their skill position players. I mean, the rushing attack last week. Are you kidding me, Tim? Mitchell with like 36 yard rushing led the team, and then the second leading rusher was Garoppolo with three yards. He was the second leading rusher with three yards. Tim, okay. Obviously George Kittle is excellent. Okay, so George Kittle aside, Ayuk had a decent yardage game and he had a touchdown. But you know Samuel Mitchell, you check. I mean Hasty Sanu Senior. I mean it's not. They got, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I think they need to add some more pieces offensively to, to complement George Kittle and to make it easier on Trey Lance, who's going to be the quarterback, okay? And, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have a horrendous game last week, but, you know, it's, it's not exactly like he's going out there like gangbusters and, try, and proving everybody wrong, especially in San Francisco. And in Santa Clara, that he's not the that he's the guy. That's just not the case. It, it's almost like we're sitting back, Tim, and waiting for that time when Trey Lance is going to take over. Right? We're waiting for the Niners to pull the trigger and put him in there and him be the guy of the future. And then 
We'll see what the Niners do, right, Tim? We'll see who they ship Jimmy G off to or what team he ends up playing on. That's kind of the feel I get when I think about the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, lost essentially lost tomorrow night. Puts them, I'd say, chalk it, chalk it up to the season's over. I mean, I'm already saying it now in my mind, but you really got to think that at that point, that division with the top two teams ahead of you, with eight wins, it's essentially a done deal, and um, that's the route I'm looking. At. I don't, I just can't see the Niners winning tomorrow. But hey, it's the NFL, like you said, uh, and that's usually, you know, just when you think something's not going to happen is when it does happen. Thursday night, Patriots Falcons game over on the NFL Network, so we'll get to see if Atlanta can bounce back from that routing they took at Dallas today. But other than that, Chris, I think I think it's come to that time of the show where we can say our goodbyes is um, another great two-hour show in the books and busy week for us this week, Chris. We got a few events we're going to be attending. No question about it, right, Tim? You got UNLV basketball tomorrow night. They're taking on North Dakota State down at Thomas and Mac again. Uh, it should be another opportunity. It should be an opportunity for the running Rebels to get to three and zero, and then it's probably going to be a different story on Friday when the Wolverines come to town and play at T-Mobile Arena. But uh, that should be a fun uh, – the, the, the Roman Classic should be a lot of fun coming up this weekend for college basketball and college basketball fans. And, uh, yes, there's obviously Vegas Golden Knight action. You've got on Tuesday the Carolina Panthers are in town. This is a Vegas Golden Knights team that's playing a lot better lately, and, and uh, people are feeling a lot better about Robin Leonard and this team moving forward. So – they played pretty well, and uh, despite the fact that they lost to my Red Wings, Tim, back at the back end of the road trip, had to get that in. I had to <laughs> just slide that in there, Tim, real quick at the end. And you got Thursday, in NIAA uh, High School Football State Championships to be decided over at Elysian Stadium, my man. Yes, sir. Four games for the NIAA State Championships, uh, starting, of course, like you mentioned, for, with Meadows and uh, the team from just outside of uh, – Carson City taking them on and uh, I was looking up I was looking a little bit about about that team Tim uh, their their enrollment at the high school a solid I believe 375 students so not, not exactly a huge school but it's uh, apparently they've got a quality football team and they'll be looking to uh, step it up against the Meadows coming up there so four of those games on Thursday and then guess what Tim real quickly Vegas Golden Knights Detroit Red Wings Thursday night so I'll be excited about that We'll let everybody know where they can find you on social media as we head on out of here. You can find me over on Twitter at Christian Wynn, also on Facebook at Christian William Wynn, and at, also at Instagram at CWin77, and all across the dial. Always love to spend my time with you, Tim, and Tommy, and the guys on Heatwave Sports, and uh, it's a lot of fun, and I'll be looking forward to uh, the next time we can do it all over again. For Chris Wynn, for Brian, another great job behind the door. Brian, Tim Unglesby, have a great sports week. And we will talk to you next Sunday night at 10 o'clock right here on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. That's 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Have a good week.